Chapter 5 The Chaos Fleet was unfamiliar with the design and capabilities of the Arbites Punisher-class vessel, mistaking it for some kind of new variant of the Dauntless-class scouting cruiser, familiar to them from so many other encounters with the armed forces of Battlefleet Gothic. Aboard the Charybdis, the Chaos Commander quickly realised the enormity of the mistake, as the Macarius and the inviolable retribution smashed into his forward line of infidel escorts. Furies launched from the Macarius swept away the wave of torpedoes fired by the infidels, immediately blunting the chaos attack. Even as the crews of the enemy raider vessel's torpedo room struggled to reload more of the Titanic Ordnance missiles into the firing tubes, the Imperial ship struck back. Four squadrons of Starhawks swarmed out of the Macarius's launch bays, forming up into attack formation and quickly speeding towards the line of enemy escorts. Even before they got there, the line had disintegrated. The Arbites strike cruisers, formidable bombardment cannons, opened fire. Their linear accelerator systems, hurtling a stream of lethal magma bomb warheads through the void at something approaching quarter light speed. The salvo of warheads exploded across the line of chaos ships with terrifying accuracy. One of them disappeared in a white flash. A hundred thousand tons of metal and machinery simply vaporized out of existence. Another tumbled out of formation, already breaking apart into burning fragments. The last remaining raider manoeuvred away in panic, abandoning its attack as its captain frantically sought to disengage from the battle. The pursuing Starhawks fell upon it with gleeful abandon, crippling its main drive and detonating its reactor core in a blizzard of armour-piercing missiles. Now, the Charybdis entered the battle, its void shields flaring angrily as it passed through the expanding clouds of debris and residual energy vapour, which only minutes ago had been its squadron of escort ships. It struck out with its forward lance batteries, beams of brilliant energy cutting through the Macarius's void shields and striking its prow, scoring burn lines metres thick into the super-dense material of the cruiser's armoured beak. On the bridge of the Macarius, Alante felt the shudder of the impact run through the hull of the vessel and saw the nervous, edgy glances being cast at him by the command deck crew. Helm, hold her steady. Ordnance, be ready to fire torpedoes on my command. Target is changing course, sir, reported the urgent voice of one of the surveyor section officers. Its energy emission profile is changing. It's trying to disengage. Outgunned, the chaos ship was attempting to break off from battle, radically changing course and cutting off the flow of power to its main systems, rendering it invisible to the surveyor sensors of other vessels. It was a standard manoeuvre, and if successful, the Chaos Cruiser would simply fade off the Macarius's target screens, drifting away unscathed and undetected. Alante had no intention of allowing that to happen. Mr. Nider! The renegade scum's going nowhere, Captain. We have it on lock-on, confirmed Nider with a snarling grin. Fire all torpedoes, instructed Alante. In a pre-arranged manoeuvre between the two vessels, the inviolable retribution fired its bombardment cannons at the same time, the combined salvo finding and striking its target with devastating force, ripping open the murder-class cruiser's underside and blowing apart its starboard flank. On the Macarius' surveyor screens, instead of fading away, the target icon of the enemy vessel burned bright and fierce, its position clearly marked by the energy now burning out of the crippled ship. Helm, full ahead. Gunnery, prepare to fire starboard batteries. At Alante's command, 
The Macarius moved forward, in tandem with the Arbites cruiser, the two Imperial vessels manoeuvring to pass on either side of the stricken Chaos cruiser. At a given signal, they opened fire simultaneously, once more pummeling the Charybdis with dual broadsides and catching it in a merciless crossfire. The enemy ship struck back with its still-functioning portside armaments, lashing the inviolable retribution with a hail of fire from its still-fearsome array of plasma cannon batteries. Explosions ripped along the hull of the Arbites craft, the retribution's own gunners trading blow for blow with their counterparts aboard the Charybdis. Attack from both sides already badly damaged, the Chaos ship quickly succumbed to the inevitable. The two Imperial ships sped on towards Bellatis, leaving behind them the burning wreck of the enemy ship that they had so clinically destroyed. There were cheers amongst the junior officers of the Macarius's command deck crew, but Alanti knew that the task ahead of them would not be so simply achieved. Enemy ship icons crowded the long-range surveyor screens, all of them closing rapidly on the doomed world. At their rear came the planet Killer, its target icon almost burning out of the screen with the truly incalculable amount of energy now flowing through it. Shuttle's ready for launch, reported Nida, in response to Alante's questioning glance. Alante nodded, and Nida sent the order through to the craft, waiting patiently in their launch bays. Seconds later, a large troop transporter shuttle fell away from the Macarius, its pilot hitting his main engine thrusters as soon as he was clear of the carrier ship. It was quickly joined by a squadron of Eagle craft launched from the Arbites cruiser. Circling Fury interceptors took up position fore and aft of the shuttle formation, forming a protective phalanx around them. The combined formation moved off at speed towards the shining disk of the planet, the two slower-moving warships following behind at a more stately pace. On the command deck, Elante cast a considered glance at Nida. How long is their flight time? he asked. We estimate one hour at full speed, perhaps a little more. Nida looked at the command deck's main tactical display, seeing the enemy target icons spilling across it towards them. They'll get there all right, but it'll be hell of a fight getting them back aboard again. Prepare your squadrons, Mr. Nida, instructed Alante. I want everything we've got launched to give them the cover they need. Keitha looked up as Ultima came running towards him. The stocky, heavy-set fighter pilot, weaving through the lines of bomb and missile-laden loading trolleys that trundled across the clustered expanse of the busy flight deck. The air was filled with the shouted instructions of ground crew, the clanging sound of metal on metal as payloads were secured aboard the attack craft, and the rising whine of thruster engines being test-fired. Ultimare had to shout above the din to be heard by his squadron commander. Nothing! No sign of him anywhere! Keitha cursed volubly and blasphemously, drawing a disapproving stare from a nearby preacher who was bestowing sacred blessings on a payload stack of melter missiles as they were loaded into the belly bay of a Starhawk. Look again, said the commander of Storm Squadron. Check every shrine and chapel on the ship. Use whoever else you can get hold of to help you, but find him. Maltimir hurried off again, already shouting commands at the nearest of Storm Squadron's ground crew personally, instructing them to stop whatever they were doing and to join him. Keitha cursed again. Every squadron aboard ship had been given its launch alert. Every available attack craft was being pressed into service. 
Tech priests and ground crews were hurriedly conducting desperate quick-fix repairs to damaged fighters and bombers that should, by all rights, have been sent to the workshop forges for major overhauls. And now, in the midst of all this, his best pilot had gone missing. Van Dyer's teeth. Keith has cursed to himself once more. Where in the name of the Golden Throne was Ref Zane? Zane bent down over the corpse. He was somewhere in the maintenance sublevels, below the generarium core he knew, and the corpse was that of one of the servitor things that inhabited such places. The blood and hydraulic fluids that were splashed on the walls of the passage, little more than a crew space in truth, were still fresh, but the organic human parts of the creature were already rotting away, revealing metal and wire beneath the grey, slick flesh. It had been killed not so long ago, the wet bloodstain said, but the amount of decay that had already set in suggested that it had lain rotting here for days. There was something unnatural here, Zane knew, something secret and foul, and he was getting closer to it all the time. Checking the power level of his last pistol one more time, he set off into the darkness again. He was not afraid, he told himself. He was a warrior, in the service of the master of mankind. He was one of the Divine Emperor's avenging furies. Chapter 6 From up high on the corner battlements, Daksha had a clear field of fire across the open area of the square in front of the cathedral's main entrance. It had been a difficult and laborious task hauling the turret autocannon weapon up here, but the effort was worth it. Panning the weapon left and right, he sent withering lines of shellfire across the square, right into the mass of cultists that filled the area below. Another one of the large armoured tractor rigs rumbled forward across the square, crushing the bodies of the dead and wounded beneath its thick tracks. Duchess swung the weapon round, barely even bothering to bring his sights to bear on it. He was used to firing at the swift, darting shapes of enemy fighters as they flitted briefly across his gun sights, often at extreme distance. The slow-moving, lumbering rig was a laughably easy target in comparison. His first stream of shots blew apart the vehicle's armoured cab and the driver inside, but he continued firing, riddling the freight space behind the cab with high-velocity armour-piercing shells, ripping apart the human cargo of armed heretics inside, shattering the vehicle's caterpillar tracks for good measure, exploding the vehicle's fuel tank and sharing the troops sheltering behind it with a blanket of burning Prometheum. Two of the spinning barrels of the autocannon quad weapon stuttered and died. Daksha emitted a short curse in his native tongue. The barrels had jammed again, overheated by constant firing. Steam hissed from the barrels of the weapon as the Frataris crew assisting him poured buckets of water over the red-hot metal. In the absence of the weapon's normal auto-coolant systems, this was the best compromise they could find. Only one of the overheated barrels commenced firing again. Daksha knew that soon this would fail too. Overheated to the point of melting. Either that, or he would run out of ammunition. After that, he would take up his Kokori knife, and join the other defenders in the battle below, wetting the weapon's blade with the blood of many enemies, rejoicing in their deaths. It was not to be. 
Seconds later, hidden artillery guns on the other side of the square opened fire in response to the stream of auto cannon fire, quickly zeroing in on Dax's position and blowing apart that area of the cathedral battlements. The remains of the weapon and the feral welder turret gunner and his crew crashed down onto the blood-soaked, cobbled ground below. The heretic wave swept towards the cathedral, overwhelming the last few die-hard defenders still manning the shattered remnants of the barricade. Fall back positions, commanded Semper, firing into the black mass of cultists, dropping several of them with a final burst of his last few precious auto-pistol shells. Along with the scattered line of Frataris, Semper ran for the cathedral doors. Bullets and lasfire from the pursuing heretics filled the air around them, gunning down many of the retreating defenders. Semper felt something sear into his side. He stumbled, falling to the ground, only to be caught by a powerful grip. Maxim Barossa, that most unlikely of all guardian angels, hauled him back to his feet, almost carrying him through the open doors, sprinting with him down the hallway and depositing him behind the cover of the final barricade that had been thrown across the broad vestibule entrance to the main cathedral hall. Fallback position, sir. Can't be leaving you behind now, rumbled the big hive-welder. Seconds later, the first of the heretics burst through the doorway behind them, charging in mass down the hallway. Devane, commanding the secondary and last line of Frataris defenders, allowed them to get within ten yards of the final barricade before he gave the order to fire to the gunners of the two remaining autocannon weapons salvaged from the shuttle wreck. The eight spinning barrels fired as one, transforming the hallway into a hail of gunfire and death. The first few ranks of attackers simply disappeared in a red mist, ripped to shreds by the massed volley of autocannon fire. Armor-piercing shells, designed to blow apart the armored hulls of starfighters, ripped through soft human tissue, passing through body after body amongst the cultists packed into the close confines of the stone hallway. Stray shells ricocheted off the fresco-covered walls and blew apart statues and scripture-engraved stone plinths and memorials, destroying the work of centuries of ecclesiarchy craftsmen. The cultists pressed on, suffering truly horrific casualties, those behind pushing those in front onwards and into the gun sights of the chattering autocannons. To Semper and the other defenders, it seemed as if the cultists were banking on winning out in a simple and brutal battle of numbers, gambling that the autocannon would run out of shells before they ran out of troops. Devane had talked of making the Chaos followers wade through their own blood in order to get down the hallway, and now those words had become far more than bloodthirsty and bravado-filled battle talk. Suddenly a figure stepped forward out of the autocannon-ravaged ranks of the cultists. The air around it swarmed with psychic power, a hazy energy shield forming around the figure to deflect away the hail of autocannon shells. It raised its sword, a crackling nimbus of black glowing energy surrounding the weapon blade. Look out! called Devane, too late, as demon fire streamed out from the weapon, exploding amongst the barricade defenders. Men screamed as the demon energy consumed them, 
transforming them into blackened, withered scarecrows. One of the autocannon weapons exploded as the ghost fire played over it, showering both gun crews and all those around them with deadly shrapnel. Semper stood up, drawing his sabre, ignoring the pain from the last burn in his side, ignoring the burned and bleeding bodies around him, seeing only the renewed charge of the cultists now creeping again towards him, seeing the figure of the chaos champion that led them, locking eyes with the heretic leader, and somehow seeing his doom written there in the inhuman creature's grotesquely shifting features. So much for being destined not to die here today, thought Semper, as he rallied what remained of the defenders and led them in a countercharge to meet the final enemy attack. The sound of gunfire and the clash of weapons echoed loudly through the cathedral's interior, carrying into the side chapel at the rear of the main hall. Vita Saro whimpered in fear, burrowing his face further into his sister's shoulder. What is happening, sister? The navy captain said that rescue was on its way, but all I hear is the sound of battle. When will it be over? The lady Melissa kissed her brother's forehead, thinking of what they had been told. She had always feared the Arbites commander, and the news that he was leading the rescue mission filled her with foreboding. She knew what she had to do now. It was regrettable, but she had always known that it would one day come down to this. No matter what happened now, her weakling of a brother had finally outlived his usefulness. Soon, she whispered, caressing his cheek with the crystal edge of her ring. I promise you, it will be over soon. Khoisan cut a path through the press of bodies, killing his own followers and those of the false emperor alike. The bloodlust was strong in him, and he was eager to kill his enemy and fulfil his pact with the powers of the warp, cleaving through the last of the human obstacles in his path. At last, he stood before his prize. The man's face registered shock and fear, paltry human emotions that the faceless one would soon leave far behind him after his glorious ascent to demonhood. But then, with a cry of despairing rage, threw himself at the Chaos Champion. Khoisan turned the attack aside with almost contemptuous ease, the blade of the human sabre shattering against the otherworldly, obsidian-like material of his own demon weapon. The impact of the blow sending the man sprawling. Khoisan raised his sword to deliver the killing strike, but suddenly two more were there to defy him. One of them blocked his blow with a power sword, the energy fields of the two weapons, one warp-born, the other human-made, clashing angrily together. The other human, so large and savage-looking that he might have easily been a follower of the Blood God, thrust a crude pistol weapon forward, pumping bullets into the Chaos Leader's chest. Khoisan felt pain as at least one of the heavy-caliber bullets penetrated into his flesh, reminding him that he had not yet left behind such human weaknesses. He lashed out angrily, knocking aside the human with the pistol, cleaving his blade through the arm of the human with the power sword, severing the limb, and continuing the blow on through into the weakling human's chest, splitting him open. Roaring in victory, the faceless one turned back to the human his masters had commanded him to kill turning just in time to see the human snatch up the fallen power sword, seeing this weak, pitiable mortal wield the weapon with surprising deafness. 
Seeing him slip the point of the blade past the faceless one's guard, thrusting it through his armour and deep into his body. Khoisan gasped in shocked disbelief, feeling the stuff of his chaos-altered body writhe and react as the energy-sheathed point of the blade burned through him. Khoisan fell back, bubbling black blood spilling out of him from the terrible energy weapon wound. All around him he heard his followers cry out in despairing disbelief. His soul cringed as he felt the unforgiving powers of the warp withdraw their favour from him. Senses dimming, he heard a screaming sound, faint at first, then growing in intensity. For a moment he thought it might be the gods of chaos themselves, bellowing forth their rage at his failure. But then, in a last lucid thought, he recognised it for what it truly was, and realised then, his failure was now complete. It was the screaming of shuttle engines coming into land in the square outside. The Arbites Eaglecraft flew low over the cathedral square, sending missiles streaking into the cultist artillery positions in the buildings around the edge of the square. The turret gunners sweeping clear the landing zone with fire. As they came into land, arbitrators leapt out even before they had settled, opening fire with their shotguns to pick off any stray targets that had escaped the turret gunners' attentions. Their champion fallen, their numbers decimated, the remaining cultists fled into the ruins of the burning city, there to await, in terror, the coming doom that was now only minutes away. With the landing area secured, the shuttle from the Macarius came to rest amidst a roar of lifting thrusters. From it emerged Byzantine and Kyogen, the former quickly linking up with the Arbites troops from the inviolable retribution, the latter taking charge of the armsmen detail that descended from the interior of the troop shuttle. Kyogen looked dispassionately around him at the scene of destruction that was the battle-ravaged Cathedral Square. Find the captain, he commanded the armsmen from the Macarius. We do not leave this place until you have. Inside the Cathedral, Semper staggered to his feet. Nearby, Maxim, groggy from the blow he had received from the Chaos Warrior did likewise. Caparian too had survived the attack, although Ko had not been so fortunate. The tech priest's fused and blackened remains lay amongst the other human wreckage left in the wake of the heretic commander's demon fire attack. Shuttles, sir. Imperial shuttles, grinned Maxim, seeing the activity in the square outside. Volk, forgive me, but I've never been so glad to see the eagle crest of one of those arbitrator bastards in all my life. Semper ignored him. Incredibly, Devane was still alive. The captain bent down over the preacher, kneeling in the thick pool of blood that spilled out from his chest and the stump of his severed arm. Retrieving Devane's power sword, Semper pressed it into the dying man's hand. Better that you keep hold of it. <coughs> coughed Devane. I won't be needing it any more, and you'll need something better than one of those fancy brittle bladed pig stickers you navy types like to call a sword. Heavy booted feet pounded up the hallway towards him. Voices called out the captain's name. Semper ignored them, refusing to let go of the dying man's hand. He followed Devane's glance seeing the huddled mass of humanity sheltering in the gloom of the cathedral hall behind them. 
of the thousands of pilgrims who had flocked to the cathedral for sanctuary, only a fraction there remained. Women and children, mostly. The families of the Frataris militia who had laid down their lives to defend the Emperor's house from the defiling presence of the heretic horde. Save them, implored Devane, his voice a fading whisper. Don't let all this have been in vain. They are what we fight to preserve. They are the Emperor's children, more important than any number of adeptus servants or blue-blood aristocrats, more valuable than anything carried away in the holds of those transports. They are the best part of this world. They cannot die along with the rest of it. Semper nodded, clutching Devane's hand, feeling the preacher's grip slacken as the life slipped out of him. Hans tugged at Semper, trying to draw him away. Captain, we must go! We are almost out of time! implored a petty officer. Only after he was sure that the preacher was dead did Semper let go of Devane's hand. Standing up, he issued a command to the waiting armsmen. See to the civilians, petty officer. Women and children first. Have your men carry aboard the shuttles any of the wounded that the Sororitas sisters say still have a chance of surviving. The armsmen visibly gawped at the orders he had been given. Sir, we don't have space for all these extra passengers, and there's not enough time. Then make space, snapped Semper. Empty the cargo compartments, jettison whatever you have to. But make no mistake, petty officer, we do not leave this place until every one of these people who still has a chance of life is aboard those shuttles. Byzantine looked down at the Governor Regent, staring into the corpse's still open eyes, the look of horrified disbelief there still evident, even through the tortured rictus grin expression that his facial muscles had contorted into, a side effect of the deadly venom that had killed him. The corpse was still fresh, and Byzantine realised that they had probably missed the traitor by only a few minutes. It had been the Lady Melissa all along, Byzantine now knew. Kale had been her dupe and lover accomplice. Possibly Broad, too. She had probably played the two men off against each other, using their jealousy to blind them to the truth of what she was making them do. Maybe at first they thought they were involved in plotting a relatively bloodless coup, and taking advantage of the larger events happening elsewhere in the Gothic sector to overthrow Imperium rule on Bellatis. The Lady Melissa would be installed on the throne in place of her brother, and she had probably promised to each of them that they would be made her consort, and each man would have secretly believed that he would be able to rule as consort, ruling through the Lady Melissa, just as she had effectively ruled through her brother. Probably she had promised them that a deal could be brokered with the forces of the Despoiler, assuring Bellatus's loyalty to the new masters of the Gothic sector. It was only later that they must have realised the extent of their treachery and ambition, but by that time it would have been already too late, and they had both cravenly sought to save their own skins during the evacuation rather than undo any of the damage they had wrought. Byzantine felt a sense of failure overwhelm him. He would order a search for her amongst the refugees still crowding the cathedral hall, even though she was almost certainly no longer within his reach. The heretics had concentrated their attack on the cathedral's main entrance, but there were other, more secret ways in and out of the ecclesiarchy building. Byzantine had no doubt that, 
If they had time to search long enough, they would find the Frataris guards at one such exit lying slain. Again, the architect of Pilatus's destruction had escaped final justice. Melissa crouched in the ruins, watching as the last of the shuttles took off from the square, carrying away their precious naval commander and that rabble of religious zealots to supposed safety. It had finally stopped raining. The wretched monsoon season was another thing that she would not miss about her backwater homeworld. And the skies had even cleared a little. She could see new stars in the sky, stars which she knew must be the Chaos warships arriving to take up position. One of the stars glowed a dull, ominous red. With a thrill of fear, she realised that it must be the planet killer itself. She smiled to herself. There was little to no chance that those fools aboard the shuttles would escape now. Not with so many of the Despoiler's warships now filling space around Bellatus. She knew that her own time was short, but there were still many cultists among the surrounding ruins. Once she made it clear to them who she was, they would swiftly give her safe conduct to the Faceless One, who would then take her off-world with him before the Planet Killer was unleashed. There were many risks, she knew, but she was still confident that this last-ditch plan would succeed. In the darkness nearby, something shifted amongst the rubble, hissing angrily at her. She reached for the bolt pistol that she had lifted from one of the Ecclesiarch adepts guarding the crypt tunnel along which she had made her escape, but her attacker was far swifter. Powerful reptilian jaws clamped around her gun hand, crushing the bones in her wrist. A thick tentacle wrapped around her throat, choking off her screams. Something that felt like a giant, bristle-haired spider's leg brushed against her face, and a fanged mouth on the end of a probing tendril bit experimentally into the flesh of her cheek. Khoisan had not died from the wound Semper had inflicted on him, although, had he any sentience left, the Chaos Champion might wish he had. His retreating followers had carried him off into the rubble, abandoning him there in terror, as the changes, terrifyingly rapid in their onset, began to manifest themselves out of their master's body. Denying him assent to demonhood, the powers of the warp had instead condemned Khoisan to the fate reserved for those who failed in their service to the gods of chaos. Khoisan's inhuman flesh had rebelled against him, shifting and splitting into terrible new forms, transforming him into a crawling, mewling, blind-eyed horror. A chaos-spawn thing, a warp-born abomination given mindless physical form. Locked in screaming, struggling embrace, the chaos champion and the traitor who had carried out his every bidding were united together at last under the shadow of the planet killer. Their deaths only minutes away. For both of them, those deaths could not now come soon enough. Chapter 7 Elante no longer needed the long-range surveyor screens to monitor the progress of the Planet Killer fleet. Through the enhanced Opticon systems incorporated into the command deck's viewing bays, he could actually see the constellation of enemy warships as they took up position near Bellatis, hovering in space over the doomed world like carrion birds, circling in wait above a dying animal. At their heart was the Planet Killer itself, and Alante studied the vessel's exotic shape and configuration in appalled wonder. 
marvelling as he tried to estimate the details of its construction and capabilities. It looked like no other kind of vessel he had ever seen before. The massive needle spindles of its main weapon array thrusting out from a central hub that itself bristled with gun batteries, torpedo tubes and lance turrets. Even without its main armament, the planet killer still possessed a truly formidable amount of firepower. Crackling bursts of energy leapt between the tips of the so-called Armageddon gun's projection barrels or spun blazing off in spectacular displays of energy discharge from giant capacitators and other structural features, the purpose of which Ulante could only guess at. He noticed, too, that the surrounding enemy ships kept a weary distance from the vessel they were supposed to be protecting. Unfocused and uncontrolled, any one of these random energy discharges could rip through a capital ship's void shields or completely destroy a smaller escort-class vessel. It was a terrifying craft, its very existence a threat to the order of the Imperium, Alante thought. He could well believe the whispered rumours that the details of its construction and estimated power requirements could not be easily explained by any normal technical means, that the powers of the warp themselves must have had a hand in its creation and operation. Even as the flag lieutenant watched, he knew that Magus Castaborus and a small army of tech-priest fabricators and lexamechanics were also studying the Despoida's flagship vessel. This was the closest that any Imperial ship had ever come to the planet killer, and the data gathered by the Macarius would be eagerly dissected by the naval tacticians and senior Adeptus Mechanicus Magi at Battlefleet Command. Assuming we actually survive the next hour or so, thought Alante, seeing the viper-prow shapes of several enemy cruisers descending fast on the Macarius, accompanied by a pack of smaller escort vessels. Magnified by the viewing bay Opticon, we saw the launch bays of one of the Chaos ships, one of the dreaded Styx-class heavy carrier cruisers, yawn open and spit out a stream of attack craft. Three cruisers, confirmed Officer of the Watch, Broton Steyer. That big Styx-class devil is the Skyler. The other two are the Cali and the Virulent, both standard slaughter-class vessels. The Virulent, an old friend from the Battle of Helia. Noted neither, and apparently keen on renewing our acquaintance, added Alante dryly. The bridge surveyor screens showed the virulent breaking away from the chaos line of battle, swinging in close to Pilatus, using the planet's gravitational field to slingshot itself at speed towards the Macarius, and... Beyond this forward line of cruisers was the main chaos fleet, containing not least the planet killer itself. The Macarius and the Arbites ship may have won the earlier skirmish, but they would be annihilated by the forces now closing in on them if they remained here much longer, a fact which everyone on the command deck was all too well aware of. Mr. Nider, the Master of Ordnance, didn't have to ask what Alante's query was referring to. The shuttles are in the air. We'll be back on board within the next 20 minutes. He broke off, glancing at the nearing target icons of the enemy ships still crowding toward them. It's going to be close, though, especially with those carrier ships of theirs out there, too. We stay in position until the shuttles are aboard. Launch everything we have, ordered Elante, knowing as well as Nida that his orders would cost the lives of many of the Macarius's attack craft crews. Nida nodded in assent as he gave the necessary orders. In seconds, the first of the Macarius's entire attack craft capability would be launched and spaceborne. 
How many of them would return to the carrier ship afterwards, though, would be a different matter entirely. Keitha banked steeply away, charging all available power through to his forged shields as another enemy swift-death fighter blazed through space towards him. He stabbed at the firing triggers just as his Chaos counterpart did the same. Streams of multi-hued laser energy crisscrossed past each other in the void, impacting against defence shields, striking through to shatter plated hull armour. At the last second, Keitha barrel-rolled, his fighter aside, barely avoiding a head-on collision with the swift death, ignoring the flashing warning runes on his instrumentation panel as he brought the fury round in a tight, looping manoeuvre to bring it fast in on his opponent's tail. The swift death streaked on ahead towards the bomber formation, its path marked by the energy bleed from its ruptured power systems and the glowing trail of laser-melted armour pieces still fragmenting away from it. Keitha locked in on the enemy fighter, sending a crack missile winging along the same well-marked trail. Moments later, he was rewarded with the sight of the swift death exploding apart just seconds before it came within launch range of the Starhawk formation. Keitha turned away again, feeling the Fury's sluggish response to his control instructions. Tell me what I don't want to hear, Manatho. He spoke through to the Fury's other crewman, occupying the navigator turret gunner position in the cockpit behind him. The power packs feeding the starboard wing last cannon have been shot away. We're bleeding energy, but it's not as bad as it looks. I can reroute and draw power from the main engines or the defence shields, although neither of these options does much to increase our long-term chances of ever seeing the Macarius again. Also, there's not enough armour plating left in the places along our Ford fuselage to stop a shot from an underpowered LAS pistol. Other than that, we're in fine shape. Keitha smiled. For a servant of the machine god, Manatho sounded almost human sometimes. He keyed up the tactical display on his orspec screen, studying the information it conveyed. They were through the enemy's forward fighter screen, with combined losses to Storm and Hornet squadrons of nine Furies against fourteen confirmed enemy kills. While the jubilant Starhawk turret gunners were reporting another three swift deaths destroyed. The Starhawks were closing on their designated targets, a squadron of enemy destroyers, but there was also the far more threatening prospect of that slaughter-class cruiser now rapidly moving forward towards the Macarius. Several thousand kilometres away, a large group of swift deaths were speeding toward the two Imperial warships. Keitha studied their changing surveyor patterns, suspecting that they were oscillating their energy outputs, attempting to disguise the presence of larger, more powerful doomfire bombers within their formation. Then, even as he watched, the formation split apart into three separate waves. One group continued on towards the Macarius and the Arbites vessel, the tell-tale blips of missile-laden doomfires now clearly registering amongst them. The second wave, all fighters, moved off to attack Tornado Squadron, which was escorting the highly vulnerable shuttle formation back to the Macarius. The remaining fighter group peeled away on a clear intercept path towards the Starhawk attack that Keitha and his squadron were protecting. Keitha cursed, opening up a calm channel to his counterpart in Hornet Squadron. Storm leader to Hornet leader, he began. We see you, Storm, came the reply. You deal with them. We'll accompany our friends here the rest of the way and lead them in on their target. Understood, Hornet. 
Dice you for the mission honours back aboard the ship, said Keitha, signing off with the Fury pilot's traditional and well-worn good-luck joke, both of them knowing the probable truth of the matter. Hornet Leader and his squadron would be leading the attack on the Chaos ships, drawing the murderous hail of anti-ordnance fire onto themselves and away from the more vulnerable bombers. Not that our survival chances seem any better, thought Keitha, seeing the number of swift death fighter icons multiply across his target screen as the two fighter formations sped towards each other. There were ten Furies left in his squadron, several of them, his own included, already damaged. Facing them was an enemy fighter wave twice as numerous, their weapons and power systems still fully charged. Van Dyer's teeth, cursed Keitha. Where was that damned maniac Zane? when you really needed him. Zane backed wearily up the passageway, clutching his last pistol, trying to get a fix on the angry hissing of the demon thing as it surged for him through the steamy gloom of the generarium subchamber. It seemed like hours, not, in reality, a few scant minutes since he had heard that terrible, continuous screaming down the duct towards him, drowning out the distant, rumbling sound of the ship's gun batteries. Hours, not scant minutes, since he had finally exited the maze of pipes and ducts that ran through the guts of the ship, dropping down onto the corpse-strewn deck of the generarium subchamber beyond, seeing smashed machinery, the bodies of engineers, servitors and tech priests gleefully ripped apart. Hours, not scant minutes, since he had begun his battle with the putrescent demon thing, that had found its way to this place. Zane did not understand the purpose of this chamber or the strange and unfamiliar machinery that it contained, but he knew that it was somehow vital to the operation of the ship, to the massive plasma reactors, rumbling with barely contained energy just a deck or two above his head. The creature had been busy in the short time since it had arrived, smashing and tearing apart machinery, power conduits and rune panels with the same ease it had rent apart the bodies of the chamber's tech crew occupants. Warning chimes sounded in alert at the destruction caused by the creature's rampage. But they were lost amongst the cacophony of alarms and battle chimes now sounding elsewhere all through the vessel. What difference was one more alarm, one more urgently flashing warning rune on an instrumentation panel somewhere on the command deck many levels above? Zane knew that no one else would come to help him, that the task of saving the ship, of preventing the demon thing from completing its destructive work, fell to him alone. He did not know how this monstrous, rancid-fleshed abomination had come aboard the ship, but he knew it for what it was, the malign, the demonic, the great foe that he had dedicated his life in service to the Emperor to opposing. Without hesitation, he had raised his las pistol and fired. The las bolt had seared away most of the creature's face. It had turned, hissing in rage, flesh swarming almost instantly across the deformed features of its skull to cover the wound. Zane had fired several more shots, dangerously depleting the scaled-down weapon's limited charge capacity. He knew that the shots would do little to injure the thing, but he was satisfied that they had achieved their intended purpose. Distracted and angered, the creature had broken off from its appointed mission of destruction, pursuing Zane into the honeycombed maze of machinery and pipeways that spun off from the central subchamber. 
Now it was hunting him through the place. Zane could sense it somewhere close nearby, sense the living taint of the thing souring the air around it. He saw a faint, familiar glow of light around the corner of the passageway ahead of him and ran towards it, drawing the creature after him. He blindly fired the Laz pistol behind him as he ran, drawing more angry hisses from the pursuing demon thing. He rounded the corner, seeing the ghostly aftermath of the light fade away, seeing only the bulkhead wall dead end at the end of the short passageway. It was hot in the passageway, condensation forming from the thick, humid atmosphere, drops of water falling, hissing onto the thick power conduit pipes that ran along the passage, disappearing through the bulkhead wall. Whatever damage the creature had done back in the main chamber, it had spread at least this far, the metal of the pipes glowing with heat, burning away the heat-resistant protective material that surrounded them. Zane turned, seeing the demon thing gallop around the corner behind him, mercilessly bearing down on him. He barely had time to set his last pistol to full charge, raising and firing it not at the creature now almost upon him, but into the weak, heat-softened metal of one of the nearby pipeways. The pipe split apart with a screaming gush, filling the passageway with fire, enveloping Zane and the creature in the pure white light of burning plasma. In that split second before the blinding brilliance wiped away his sight, Zane beheld the glowing armoured figure of the warrior angel in amongst the roaring light, her arms held open towards him in welcome. Zane gladly let the light consume him, bringing him into her embrace. Many decks above, on the bridge of the ship, a low-ranking logitician tech priest, just one of hundreds, connected into the Macarius's ancient and mighty logic engines and monitoring the non-stop passage of information through the ship's arcane machine mind, detected damage to one of their generarium sublevels. It was a relatively minor problem affecting the area responsible for regulating the flow of residue energy from the ship's plasma reactors, pipes that carried away the gaseous waste from the generarium and emptied it out into space from bleed vents along the ship's hull. One of the pipes had fractured, although the fire appeared to have quickly burned itself out. The ship's autosystems already closing down those pipeways and diverting the waste gas away to another bleed vent. There had also been signs of potentially far more serious malfunctions in a nearby generarium subchamber controlling the flow of power to the void shield generator capacitors, but these too seemed to have somehow been contained. The logitician routinely catalogued the information, adding it to the growing list of damage reports coming in from all over the ship as it came within range of the advancing Chaos Fleet's gun batteries and attack craft squadrons. Neither incident had inflicted any serious lasting damage on the ship or its operations, and both were deemed non-critical. Only when the battle was over and of the more urgent repairs had been dealt with would there be time to investigate and make good the damage in these two areas. The convoy of shuttles ran the gauntlet up out of the planet's gravity well, gratefully falling into place amongst the lines of fury interceptors that formed up to escort it. From the cockpit of his eagle craft, Byzantine beheld the spectacular sight of the battle now taking place in orbit above Bellatis. Fiery shards of light glittered all through space, a myriad of minor explosions and las blasts, evidence of the dozens of different duels taking place between dogfighting Imperium and renegade attack craft. 
Ahead were the reassuring and imposing shapes of the Macarius and the inviolable retribution, their void shields flaring with burst after burst of angry light as they came under intensive fire from the vanguard of the Chaos fleet. The gun batteries of both vessels spoke back in reply, and the Chaos warships, clearly mindful of the fate of the Charybdis, were keeping a weary distance out of range of the Retribution's bombardment cannons, but it was obvious to Byzantine that neither ship could sustain such punishment for very much longer. One of the sleek, flat-hulled Chaos cruisers surged forward ahead of the others. Swarms of Firefly lights, Starhawk attack craft, Byzantine realised, dwarfed against the gargantuan bulk of their target, flitted around it, pouring light streams of missile volleys into it. Clouds of burning internal atmosphere gases billowed from a dozen places in the Chaos ship's hull, where the bomber attacks had blasted through its armour. But the giant cruiser continued onwards, its defence turrets spitting in irritation at the bomber speck still buzzing around it, its forward lance armaments lashing out at the Macarius. Without warning, one of the shuttles in front of Byzantine exploded apart, struck by a blast of lasfire from a marauding swift death that had broken through the line of Fury escorts. Two Furies darted past in pursuit, aptly living up to their name as they vengefully blew the enemy apart in a torrent of lasfire. Message from the Retribution, Marshal, reported the shuttle's arbitrator co-pilot. Its landing base have been struck and are out of action. We are directed to dock with the Macarius instead. Byzantine nodded without word. As a senior lawkeeper of the Adeptus Arbites, he had commanded armies of arbitrators, had crushed rebellions and uprisings on a planetary scale, but here and now he felt powerless and insignificant, in contrast to the scale of the battle going on around him. This was a level of destruction almost unimaginable in its intensity. Men and machines pitted against each other in the harsh and unforgiving void of space, where entire vessels and the lives of their many thousands of crew could be swept away in seconds without any mercy or warning. The Fury escorts suddenly peeled away from the shuttle convoy, leaving it vulnerable and exposed. Byzantine flinched as explosions and las blasts filled the void around them, assuming at first that they were under attack again from more enemy fighters, realising a second later that this was their own covering fire, the defence turrets of the Macarius throwing out a corridor of covering fire, much of it passing terrifyingly close to the incoming shuttlecraft to protect the shuttles from enemy fighter attack. The pitted metal escarpment of the Macarius's hull loomed large in front of the cockpit window, growing in immensity every second as they sped towards it. The Eagle pilot fired braking thrusters, but, to Byzantine's eyes at least, they were still coming in alarmingly fast, heading into the gaping moor of one of the gloomily lit metal caverns that was actually the open entrance to one of the ship's launch bays. The shuttle shuddered wildly pitching forward for a second as it passed through the mouth of the launch bay, ancient suspenser fields reaching out to catch it in their mysterious, invisible grasp, decelerating it and bringing it to an almost graceful stop as its pilot brought it under control and manoeuvred it into one of the many landing bay tunnels. Only when they had safely touched down in the landing bay did Byzantine begin to breathe easily again. Macarius bids you welcome, said the voice of a flight deck controller over the cockpit's open comnet. 
affecting the dry, stiff upper lip and slightly mocking tone characteristic of so many Imperial Navy personnel when dealing with the servants of the other branches of His Divine Majesty's Martial Forces. Good to have you aboard again, Marshal. Semper half ran, half staggered down the belly ramp of the shuttle, responding in kind to the smartly executed salute of the officer of the watch Steyer, but little troubled by the lack of elaborate naval ritual that customarily greets a captain when coming aboard his own vessel. Judging by the rocky ride they had had on their way in here, and the continuous booming roar of the ship's guns, Alante probably had more pressing matters to attend to than laying on a guard of honour for his captain's arrival, thought Semper, with dour humour. What orders, Captain? To the bridge, answered Semper, instantly resuming the mantle of naval command once more. Convey my orders ahead of us to Mr. Alante. Tell him to recall all attack craft and disengage from battle without further delay. Semper looked around him, remembering his promise to a dying man. Seeing the stream of pilgrim refugees, many of them wounded and malnourished, now exiting from the other shuttlecraft. The chief petty officer will accompany me to the command deck. Remain here and attend to these people's needs. Make sure they receive whatever food, accommodation and medical aid they need. The chief petty officer, queried Steyer, looking amongst the armsmen and crewmen for anyone of that rank. He stared in frank disbelief as Semper indicated the scar-tattooed figure of the giant hive-worlder beside him. Chief petty officer Barossa, snapped Semper. More men like him, and we might even stand a chance of winning this damned war. My congratulations, chief petty officer. We'll attend to the official rituals of your promotion and possibly some kind of decoration when we can, assuming you're not blown to oblivion in the immediate future. If you say so, sir, grinned Maxim. Promotion to junior officer rank and a medal, just as that hive witch had prophesied. Battlefleet Gothic may not yet be winning this conflict, but Maxim Barossa was having himself a splendid war so far. Elante watched anxiously as the remnants of the Macarius's attack craft squadrons returned to the safety of the launch base. They had acquitted themselves well, driving off the enemy fighter attacks on the shuttle convoy, intercepting a bomber attack aimed at the Macarius, and, in return, crippling or forcing into retreat two idolator escorts and subjecting the still-oncoming virulent to relentless missile bombardment. But all this had only been achieved at great cost to their own numbers, and he knew that Nida and his staff were keeping a grim tally count of the mounting losses as each squadron returned to the ship. Paying the butcher's bill was the famous quip used by Lord Admiral Ravensburg for the task of counting battle losses, but Alante, in his first action in full command of a warship, felt none of the morbid elation inherent in the Lord Admiral's flippant words. What is the word on Captain Semper? Still en route to the command deck, answered a junior officer, his reply suddenly drowned out by a shout from a surveyor section crewman. Enemy attack craft squadrons are disengaging. The escorts and capital class warships too. Emperor's oath, they're all on the retreat. Ulante looked for himself, scarcely able to believe what he saw. Both the Macarius and the Retribution had been taking a pounding, and he had only expected that pounding to increase in intensity as they began the near-impossible task of trying to successfully disengage from the Chaos attack. Now, instead of pressing on with their attack on vulnerable retreating targets, 
The Chaos ships were retreating, turning away and moving at increasing speed away from the planet and the Imperial vessels. Suddenly, even as the second shout came from the surveyor section area of the bridge, Alante realised, with a sense of sickening dread, what it was that had caused the Chaos ships to break off from battle on the point of victory. Power Spike! Throne of Earth! The readings are right off the scale! The planet killer is opening fire on Bellatis! In a torrent of energy that overwhelmed the ship's surveyor senses and transformed hundreds of tactical screens into blank-faced displays of howling static, the planet killer unleashed its power on the world below. A roaring storm of destruction descended on Bellatis, passing through the atmosphere and increasing the temperature there a hundredfold in seconds, partially igniting it in a fiery borealis that swept out across the circumference of the planet. The energy blast struck the planet's largest ocean on its eastern hemisphere, some 2,000 kilometres southwest of Medina. Sending up a huge cloud of steam, clearly visible from space as millions of tonnes of seawater were instantly vaporised, boiling away into the burning, superheated atmosphere. The blast struck and cracked open the ocean bed, unleashing a super-tsunami tidal wave over three kilometres in height, which would drown the two nearest continents and island chains and compete with the fiery Borealis overhead in its race round the globe. The planet killer's gunnery priests had not chosen this spot on the surface at random. Surveyor scans of the planet's geological structure and demon-voiced augers had guided their aim. The planetary crust was weak and unstable here, and the all-consuming energy beam ripped it asunder, setting off a series of cataclysmic underwater earthquakes, igniting chains of long dormant volcanoes into fiery explosive life, and causing new ones to thrust up through the splintering, broken crust. The seismic shock waves ripped through the core of the planet, setting off disasters on the far side of Bellatus long before the tsunami or firestorm would reach the continents there. And all the time, the planet killer kept firing into an open wound, now almost a hundred kilometres across in the planet's crust, the coruscating lance of otherworldly energy burning a hole deep into the planetary core bursting open the planet's molten heart. In Medina, crouching there in the ruins, the scattered followers of Khoisan the Faithless looked up in terrified incomprehension as the distant horizon lit up with what looked like the light of a second dawning sun. The light grew in intensity, and the horizon slowly turned into a line of creeping fire. There was a dull rumbling sound from the ground beneath their feet, gradually but surely growing in volume, and then the ruins around them started to tumble down on their heads. Many prayed to the dark gods of chaos to save them. Others recanted and instead begged the emperor for forgiveness. If any gods were listening, they gave no answer. Barely twenty minutes after the planet killer first opened fire, Bellatus exploded apart. Aboard the triumphant vessel, the gunnery priests held a service of thanksgiving, sacrificing 500 specially chosen slaves to feed the hungry demands of the demon spirits bound into the workings of the Armageddon gun. Word came down to them that the despoiler was pleased with their efforts. To date, the destruction of Bellatis was by far the planet killer's most successful operation. The gunnery priests sacrificed another hundred slaves in celebration of the War Master's approval. Reading the future in the dissected entrails of the bound and still living sacrifices, 
The auguries were good. They murmured amongst themselves. There would be many more worlds yet that would see the shadow of the planet killer fall upon them before the gothic sector war was over. Chapter 8 The virulent weathered the storm of the planet's destruction, riding out the violent waves of gravitational flux as Pilates broke apart. Jets of flaming magma splashed against its void shields, hails of burning meteors smashed off its hull, adding further to the damage caused by the armor-piercing missiles of the Starhawk bombers that had attacked the Chaos Cruiser. Take it away! slurred Bullus Cyril, pointing with a deformed, leprous hand at the broken remains of his second-in-command, now staining the deck of his vessel's bridge. Two plague marines moved wordlessly forward to drag the corpse away. Cyril glared in contemptuous challenge at his command crew, daring any of them to add to the former second-in-command's querulous objections to Cyril's current course of action. The Grandfather is with us, Cyril told them. He watches over us, bidding us to carry out his holy work, (laughs) while the servants of other lesser powers cower in abeyance behind us, fearing the wrath of the War Master. He pointed to the view at the command deck's filth-encrusted viewing bays while the rest of the Chaos fleet had withdrawn to cringe in the shadow of the planet killer. Only the virulent had carried on in pursuit of the retreating Imperial ships, its surging course carrying it recklessly through the rain of debris from the exploding planet. By the grace of the Grandfather, they had ridden out the worst of the storm, as burning planetary shards many tens of kilometres across spun past them, as the stress of the planet's collapsing gravitational field threatened to tear the cruiser apart. Now only the clear darkness of open space showed ahead of them. See, did I not say that the plague lord watches over us? He has carried us safely through the maelstrom, and now at last we will deliver his vengeance on the destroyer of our sister vessel Contagion. Ahead of the virulent were the twin light specks of the two Imperium vessels, both of them damaged, both of them retreating at full speed, away from the planet killer fleet. The captains of the other Chaos vessels, craven lackeys of the War Master, every one of them, showed little inclination to pursue the two escaping enemy vessels, nor, in truth, did Cyril want them to. The destruction of the Macarius was his by rights alone. Damaged as it was, the virulent could still outrun the Macarius, the slaughter-class cruiser's superior engine array design, pushing it forward at speed and rapidly closing the gap between it and the two limping enemy ships. It was a pity that his plague child aboard the Macarius had been unable to complete its task, but its failure and subsequent death would make no difference to the final outcome now. Arm Ford Lances, he hissed settling his vast, vile bulk back into the bone-sculpted armature of his command throne. Commence firing as soon as target is in range! Semper cursed as the Macarius shook under the impact of another damaging strike to its rear. Engine Quintus has suffered a disabling strike to its coolant coils, main drive now reporting at 62% capacity. 
reported the infuriatingly calm voice of a servitor, uncaring that it was announcing the Macarius' slow but almost surely certain destruction. Semper shared a glance with Volante, both of them facing the same harsh truths. That damn slaughter-class cruiser had come through hell and high water to pursue them and was still closing, sending blast after blast of weapons fire into the Macarius's engine array. At this rate, the ship's main drive systems would be crippled in a matter of minutes. Both the Macarius and the inviolable retribution were in the same desperate straits. If they continued on, they would be destroyed, unable to outrun the faster Chaos vessel, unable to withstand many more strikes into their vulnerable stern sections. If they turned to face their attacker, they would almost certainly still be destroyed, presenting themselves to the massed fire, not only from the virulent's prow armaments, but also from its formidable side-mounted batteries as they manoeuvred round in a ponderous turning circle. Both Imperium vessels had already taken serious damage in the recent ended engagement with the Chaos fleet. The Retribution's entire starboard gun decks had been gutted by fire. The Macarius had no attack craft capability left to launch from the surviving remnants of its Starhawk and Fury squadrons. No, Simper realised, there would be little chance of surviving another battle at present. Captain, prompted Ulante, knowing that a command deck decision was called for. Prepare to come about, Mr. Ulante. According to the damage reports, we've still got a few gun decks operating on the starboard side. So we'll favour our enemy with that side as we turn. Signal the retribution. Thank her for her companionship and tell her to keep on making for the system's edge. No sense in us both going down here, and we'll buy her time to make her safe escape. That slaughter class seems to be solely gunning for us anyway. Elante nodded wordlessly and turned away to give the necessary orders, only to be interrupted by a shout from the surveyor section. New surveyor contact appearing ahead of us! A warship! It's powering up weapons and drive systems! Identify! barked Semper, angry that he had fallen into a chaos trap. Somehow, another enemy vessel had outflanked them, cutting off their retreat. Now even the Arbite ship would be unable to escape to the system's edge. Welcome back, Macarius. Good to see you amongst us again, rasped the voice of Erwin Ramus over an open ship-to-ship comm channel. Its systems powered down so as to render it invisible to surveyor senses. The Drakenfels had lain patiently in wait for its prey. Now, at last, its patience had finally paid off. Powering up, it surged forward towards its target, closing on it with near-reckless abandon. Lock on, reported the Gothic-class cruiser's master of ordnance. Launch torpedoes! Close spread! came the reply from the occupant of the armoured Strategium Sanctum. The torpedoes blazed towards their target, passing between the Macarius and the Retribution in a bravado show of marksmanship. Aboard the Virulent, Cyril was still trying to absorb the surprise of the Imperial cruiser's sudden appearance when the command deck alarm screamed in warning as the torpedoes' lock-on signals bounced off the hull of their target. Knowing that the Macarius could not launch any more bomber squadrons and needing to urgently replace crew losses elsewhere, Cyril had drawn heavily on the crews of his ship's defence turrets. Now, all over the virulent, caught by surprise by the torpedo attack, men and other lesser things scrambled to crew the undermanned turret defences. Whatever defensive fire they could throw up around the ship would be too little, too late. 
the virulence prow exploded apart. One of the torpedoes struck the command tower, blowing away the top of it. The ship's engines stuttered and died as power feeds ruptured open, sweeping the main hull's internal compartments with a burning flood of energy, immolating the greater part of the ship's crew. Dying and powerless, the virulent blindly tumbled away through space, falling into the gravitational pull of the remains of Bellatus. There... It would be either mercifully smashed apart in collision with any of the massive continent-sized planetoid fragments, or would drift forever amongst the rest of the detritus of the planet's destruction. Trapped amongst the smashed wreckage of the bridge, his plague-swollen body gruesomely burst open by the effects of explosive decompression. As the torpedo's detonations ripped apart the virulent command tower, Bullus Cyril remained hideously alive by virtue of his chaos-altered form. He could survive for months, he knew, his body feeding on the plagues that would hatch out amongst his ruined flesh. Bile bubbled from his lips as he soundlessly mouthed words into the cold vacuum, praying to Grandfather Nurgle to bring him swift and merciful deliverance. If the Plague Lord was listening, he gave no answer. Hours later, aboard the Macarius, damage control teams attended to the aftermath of battle, conducting whatever makeshift repairs were necessary, giving what aid they could to the wounded and clearing up the dead. Stacked in heaps in airlock holds, the best the dead could hope for was a hurried prayer from a ship's preacher before they were flushed out into space along with all the other unusable wreckage of battle. Now a work crew of naval ratings methodically sifted through the crematoria scene inside of one of the generarium sublevels. The rest of this part of the ship had been untouched by the battle, but it was not the task of men such as these to wonder why this chamber alone had been swept clean by fire. Navaria, shouted one of the ratings, bending over one of the fire-blackened corpses that filled the floor of the chamber. There's one of them still alive! His companion looked down in disbelief, at the figure huddled on the ground. The man's face and hair were gone, and he wore the charred remains of what looked surprisingly like a flight suit, which had been horribly heat-fused to his skin over much of his body. Like the man's face, any name and rank insignia on the suit had been burned away by the fire. Nearby was the twisted, fire-consumed remains of something else, something organic, Several bodies fused together, surely, for it was too large to be the remains of just one man. Unconsciously, instinctively, both men gave the blackened mass a wide berth. Looking at the burned man's injuries, the second rating reached for the blade he kept tucked into his boot. Best to put him out of his misery now. He won't want to live, not looking like that. And those apothecary bastards don't care what happens to the ones that are messed up too bad to fix. They'll sling him into the airlock while he's still alive and flush him out along with all the other stiffs. Leave him be, commanded the other rating, gently taking the burned figure's raw-fleshed hand, bending down to speak gently into his ear. The rating had been raised a loyal, emperor-faring servant of the Imperium, and there was something about the dying man that struck a distant chord in him. It's all right, friend, he reassured the faceless stranger. We'll get you to a surgeon. Emperor Law knows what you're doing down here. We'll get you back to where you belong. The stranger groaned, trying to form words from a mouth reduced to a lipless hole. The rating leant in close, straining to listen to the burn man's mumbled words, then looked up in puzzlement at his companion. 
What did he say? Nonsense, mostly. Reckon he must be from the flight deck, after all. Maybe ground crew on one of the fighter squadrons. All he could say was something about avenging furies. Moving in formation, with the Retribution and the Drakenfells, the Macarius moved toward the jump point on the system's edge, homing in on the comnet chatter of the convoy ahead. Before them was the darkness of interstellar space. Behind them was a fading red glow that marked where the world of Bellatus had recently been. In time, the drifting remains of the planet would spread out to form an asteroid belt, halo, around the system's sun, and future generations of imperial statisticians and mapmakers would mark the planet as Mundus Perdita, a world now lost to the Imperium. At the rear of the command deck, Semper, Alante and Byzantine stood together in silence, watching the residue of fading, burning light that had once been a world inhabited by several hundred million of the Emperor's subjects. Semper wore a fresh duty uniform in place of the filthy and blood-stained items that he had worn during his sojourn on the planet's surface. At his side, in place of the customary naval sabre, hung the heavy, scabbard-sheathed blade of an Imperial Guard power sword. A gift bequeathed to me by a brave and loyal servant of the Emperor, he said in response to the querying look from Alante. I wear it in remembrance of him and of the promise I made to him. Byzantine looked at the weapon, recognising it, and remembering the man whose hand he had last seen it in. What promise? he asked, suspecting he already knew the answer. Suspecting that he made a similar promise to the same man not so long ago. Semper gazed out at the vista beyond, taking one last look at the funeral pyre glow of the ruins of Bellatis, as he signalled for the command deck blast shields to be lowered in preparation for their ascent into the warp. That we stop running away. That we stop giving up ground and innocent lives. That we finally turn and fight from now on. He grimly vowed, unconsciously laying one hand on the pummel of the sheathed sword. We take this war back to the enemy. Byzantine and Alante nodded in silent agreement. Behind them, the blast shields grated down into place removing from view the last traces of all that had been the world of Pilatus. Epilogue In his hologram chamber sanctum, buried deep within the body of the planet killer, Abaddon the Despoiler watched in satisfaction as the projected image showed the last few burning asteroid embers of the now-vanished world of Pilatus as they tumbled through space. The Despoiler was pleased but the shimmering image displayed by the chamber was like a finely carved gemstone that, under close inspection, revealed itself to be minutely flawed in some minor but ultimately displeasing way. The despoiler turned his head, his attention drawn by something on the fringes of the star system. One of his lieutenants gestured in curt command, and the arcane device's tech-priest operators hurried to change the settings in search of whatever the war master was looking for. The hollow image shifted and changed, tracking through the star system, eventually zeroing in on a group of vessel shapes, now making their way towards a nearby jump point. Abaddon frowned in disquiet, his gaze passing over the Imperial convoy line. It displeased him that some of the servants of the false emperor had defied him and managed to escape the ordained destruction of their world. But there was something more here. 
His eyes passed once over the line of ships, stopping on one warship, an ungainly, battle-scarred carrier ship, near the rear of the formation. Again the despoiler felt a prescient disquiet, a whispering doubt that he had overlooked something potentially significant, but he angrily dispelled the notion. There was more, far more at stake here than the fate of one miserable, straggling convoy, or even the destruction of an entire world. Show me, commanded the warmaster, and the image changed again, showing once more the glittering panoply of stars and planetary systems that was the rich prize of the Gothic sector, and, hidden within this grand vista, were the six true prizes that the warmaster sought to capture. His eyes picked them out one by one, his mind reciting their names to itself. Volaris, Anvil 206, Fear, Rebo, Schindelgeist, Brigia. The six Blackstone systems, each home to one of the ancient and almost limitlessly powerful artefacts that the false emperor's servants had, like a colony of insects or vermin building their nests inside the workings of a titan war machine, turned into bases for their space fleets, little realising the true capabilities of the objects that they foolishly believed to be theirs by right. Abaddon turned, sensing the approach of one of his lieutenants, the minion abasing himself in a pleasingly obsequious manner before the despoiler. Warmaster, the fleet is regrouped and ready to be underway. We await your orders. Abaddon considered. This planet-killer vessel had now achieved its intended purpose. Fear and confusion were rife amongst the ranks of the enemy. They waited in terror to see what world would next fall under the vessel's shadow, and, as they waited, they did not see or understand the greater purpose of it all. It was time now, the Warmaster realised, to reveal that purpose. It was time to take this war to a level of calamity and destruction as yet undreamt of by an enemy that did not realise what was truly at stake in this conflict. They fought to repel what they assumed was an invasion of the Gothic sector. He fought to seize the six prizes that would in turn deliver the entire Imperium of Man to the forces of chaos. Rebo Five, he ordered. We make for the Blackstone Fortress of Rebo Five. Let the galaxy burn, the Warmaster Horus had commanded. Soon, thought the despoiler. So very soon. Ah, there we go. The finale, the end. Thank you all very much for watching. Please do give the video a like. Subscribe if you're not subscribed. Do let me know in the comments what you're thinking, uh, what, what you thought of this, what you thought of this, the novel in, it, in and of itself. I really appreciate that. I'm going to do like a review uh, of the novel. I was going to talk about it at the end of this, but it'll just make it too long. So I'm going to do a separate video, talk about this novel and um, just everything around it, you know, and sort of like, sort of uh, how, how sort of Blackstone, how Black Library fiction used to be. Like this novel, like, and a lot of the other ones, the older ones, um, a lot harsher than the current day stuff. Very, you know, like grim, dark, fully, you know, just like harsh and <laughs> really harsh. Um, but that's what made it so cool, you know. But anyway, I don't want to talk about that now. Uh, I'll do a separate video, so stay tuned for that. That'll be out on the channel soon. I'll do a review like I've done with other novels in the past. And um, yeah, I'll be doing other stuff as well coming up soon. Uh, I like to mix it up a bit on the channel. I do, you know, this this sort of thing, law videos, big law videos, short videos occasionally. We'll see. And review videos. So long-term viewers, you know this. Um, I hope you enjoy what's coming up. 
Thank you to everybody supporting the channel. Your names are going by here as I ramble. Uh, you guys really make this possible for me to do this, and I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, hopefully I keep improving, and um, it's worth your uh, worth your support to carry on supporting, which I do appreciate massively. And uh, you know, hopefully as we push forward, I'll do even more entertaining things for you. So yeah, stay tuned. And uh, yeah, like I say, going to be mostly Warhammer stuff. Probably going to be branching out into a couple of other subject matters occasionally and uh, history stuff, that sort of thing. But it's all going to be of good quality and it's all going to be interesting and cool. That's all I can promise you. But anyway, thank you for supporting the channel. Really appreciate it. If you too would like to support the channel because it all helps me, the more help I get, the more I can do, then uh, please consider becoming a YouTube channel member or a patron over on Patreon or on, uh, what is it, Subscribestar. I've got that as well. Um, and yeah, you know, like the, if you look in the description there's different things you can do if not don't worry about it but I do hope you've enjoyed this please do give a like and share it to anyone you think might enjoy it and also subscribe so you can stay tuned with stuff that I'm doing and hit the little bell thing and blah de blah de blah I'm going to go now get ready for another review video very soon get ready for more stuff coming soon I'll put out a preview of um, the next the sequel book to this which is called Shadow Point so stay tuned for that and uh, yeah, you know, as we go forward, long-term viewers of the channel will know I've had a few breaks in the amount of content I've put out for various reasons, personal issues, and also some technical problems I've had over the last couple of months. Uh, that's all gone now, hopefully. Touch wood. Touch wood. So yeah, I'll be back to making like um, a good amount of content regularly, you know, so at least you'll always be getting like at least one video a week at a minimum and hopefully more, depending if I can do it in time. But big stuff coming up, big videos coming up as well. So stay tuned. I'm just ranting now. I'm going to go now. Thanks very much for watching again. Thank you all. And I hope you have enjoyed this. It's been a pleasure for me. I'll do a separate review talking about this book. And uh, yeah, like sort of reviewing it and discussing it. I might have a guest on. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Bye-bye. Thanks for it again. Bye-bye. 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 I'm going to go because I'm just ranting. Ta-ra. In a bit. Ta-ra. Bye-bye. I'm going to press stop now. Bye-bye.